This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome in. It's a fresh Friday edition of the Alliance 24-7 podcast. Tyler Donahue, Sean Fitz, back with you. And for the first time in a couple weeks, both here in Happy Valley, along with Penn State players, Phase 2 underway this week. We talked a lot in the first episode a few days ago about the fact that freshmen are now on campus. Most of them accounted for. Sean had a little bit more on that up on the site, lines247.com. Saturday, believe it or not, 10 weeks away from scheduled kickoff, Penn State, Kent State, September 5th in Beaver Stadium. We're going to talk about the logistics of this 2020 season, of the recruiting trail, of how coaches like James Franklin are handling the realities of 2020 in just a moment. First, I want to let our listeners know, right now until Friday at midnight, again, I feel like we always screw this up a little bit because we know how many of you pick this up on a Saturday morning, Saturday afternoon. But if you're listening on a Friday, you have until midnight to take advantage of our current offer up on lines247.com. It's 50% off an annual VIP subscription. You can still get that $1 for one month subscription, but I'm telling you half off for the entire year. It's going to take you all the way into next summer. A lot is going to go down behind the scenes on lines247 that you will be a part of. Just want to put that out there. That's until midnight Friday. I'll mention it again later in the show, uh, just as a reminder. But Sean, that number stood out to me. I was doing the math in my head. Not very complicated math, but any math is a little complicated for me. Ten weeks from Saturday, we're supposed to see Penn State playing football. We're supposed to, and uh, you know, we're going back and forth on uh, what uh, what you're doing to uh, to get football back. I know James Franklin had a few pointed retweets uh, yesterday on Thursday afternoon, um, but yeah, it's uh, it seems still very much up in the air. I mean, there's positive signs, but you know, are those positive signs? Uh, legitimate is that optimism? Just oh, what are we looking at here? And 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 what we did this week on lions247.com, we obtained the the letter that uh, was sent out from from the Letterman uh, from Wally Richardson, the the chairman of the Letterman committee, uh, to the former Letterman, saying, "Hey, you're I'm sorry, you're not going to be there this year." And that's uh, you know probably a, a different way than it was worded in the letter. But no Letterman on the sidelines, which brings to attention uh, dramatically reducing the people around the football team. I had this conversation. Frank Hyatt takes photos for us at Lions 24-7 for a couple games a year. He drives in from Ohio and, and gets a big game and goes to Ohio State when we, uh, you know, when we go out there and cover that game. Uh, he called me th- this uh, yesterday. And he's like, what's it going to be like for photographers? I said, buddy, I don't know. I mean, that's uh, it is really uh, very much up in the air. I'm not sure how it's going to work. You're just trying to keep people away from other people starts with the letterman it's going to trickle down i'm sure you know those sidelines are fairly crowded sometimes and i'm sure that that's going to look very very different uh next season so i don't know what's uh i don't know what's going to go on but as that letter stated it's going to look dramatically different than you've seen beaver stadium look in years past yeah, the, the, the specific phrases that stood out here uh, f- from Richardson, he says, quote, 
The capacity of Beaver Stadium will be lowered dramatically this season for safety purposes. This is a learning process for all involved. Precautions are being taken to make sure the game is played safely and the people watching the action live will be as safe as they can under the circumstances. This is that first uh, kind of peeling back the, the curtain a little bit to see how uh, the, the, the sidelines, the stands are going to be impacted. Not surprising, uh, the sidelines, certainly they're going to need to clear those as much as possible, uh, do everything they can to, to limit contact uh, for players, for coaches. That's going to extend to us as reporters as well. I You know, media scrums, I don't know when we're going to see those again because they involve a bunch of reporters standing closely and circled around a player or a coach pointing their microphone at them and not really conducive to the current reality. Um, We've got a lot to figure out as a media beat how this is going to impact us. But, you know, right now we're certainly seeing what Penn State is trying to counteract the situation as information comes in. As they learn, uh, learn about how other campuses are going to handle this. Again, ultimately, I think you're going to need a lot of conference supervision, NCAA supervision, uh, to try to make this thing kind of an even playing field on the approach. But this isn't an even playing field kind of uh, circumstance as we've seen across the country, different towns, different states, different cities. Uh, dealing with this in a different way. And um, we are going to get to some recruiting news in a little bit. We've got Crystal Ball pick that is very notable to get to. We have a conversation with Jimmy Christ, who arrived as a freshman offensive lineman in the last few days. But focusing here a little bit longer on how Penn State is adapting to this reality in 2020, Sean, uh, not surprising to see, but the NCAA, again, extending the recruiting dead period Uh, Through August, that's going to mean five full months without in-person recruiting contact. That goes all the way back through April. You had some visits in the early stages of March. I I, I may be wrong here, but I think tight end Brock Bowers out of California was the last recruit to visit uh, Penn State. That was maybe the first, second week of March. Since then, nothing. There will be nothing until the season. And now we're at the point, Sean, where we start to wonder Will those official visits that all these prospects have been pointing to, okay, well, I can use them in the season. I'll use them in the season. I'll use them in the season. Is that going to be feasible? And if not, how the heck are you going to make an educated decision and an educated signature when it comes to December and February and choosing your course for college in the next four or five years of your life? Oh, buddy, I have no idea. I mean, that's <laughs> uh, that's going to be just crazy when you think about, uh, you know, just compressing the entire recruiting process into, you know, a couple of weeks or a couple of months. or even, I mean, it, I'm not convinced that you're going to have visitors on campus this fall. And this is something I think we touched on in the last episode that if you're going to look at the logistics of bringing guys in from all over the country or all over the state or whatever, you just, there's so many unknowns. And, and, and you talked about uh, limiting media access and stuff like that. That that's a risk you don't have to take. I mean, that's a risk that, you know, putting your players in a media scrum, you don't need to do that. Opening practices on Wednesdays, which are probably going to go away, they, they don't need to do that. But with recruiting, I mean, there's there's a light, you know, there, there's obviously things that happen at the end of that that impact the future of your roster. So whether you and I are there on Wednesday night doesn't matter, but whether this guy, uh, Nolan Rucci, is there for an official visit in October, that's going to matter. So it, it's going to be really interesting to see how this all plays out because I'm not convinced it's going to happen. And and really, the the dead period for August is not a surprise. I mean, this is no. something that we saw coming. It's, it's actually a dead period anyway. So 
It really doesn't change the calendar all that much. Um, you couldn't take official visits then. It would take some sort of special um, circumstances from the NCA to say to flip it and say, "Hey, you need you, you have August to take official visits now. Go ahead and do it," which wasn't going to happen. Uh, you can't take official visits until basically your your senior year, September of your senior year, or late August depends when the schedule starts. Um, but it, it, it's a really interesting situation because you're just trying to keep people away from each other, and even if you have a system where you just give the kids tickets and they show up in this certain spot. You still have to distance them. You still have to keep them apart. And what we're talking about with the letter to the letterman and the drastically different looking Beaver Stadium is, you know, you're going to see people spread out um, and it's it's going to be a learning process. I mean, you're going to have, I hate to say trial and error because the error in this situation is pretty drastic, um, but uh, you're going to have trial and error about how how you can make this work. And I think that's going to boil over to the recruiting process. Do you figure out a way to say that maybe official visits are okay? I mean, that's still a risk, but it's also a little different when you're talking about just a couple of people doing it. So I don't know how it's going to work out. I, re- I reached out to Todd Rucci this morning about, uh, you know, what's going to happen. He said, Nolan looked at the, looked at the rules and said, well, that sucks. And that's pretty much it. So you're, you're trying to figure out what's going to happen. Um, we talked about those guys who wanted to make a decision before their senior season. That that wave is probably mostly already passed. So we've seen guys that you know wanted to wait it out and wanted to go when that dead period came down in July. I think that's when a lot of the uh, the this decisions came. So doesn't change much from the August sort of thing. But when you're looking at September, October, November, I mean that's that's scary to think about when you when you when you have this many unknowns in the recruiting cycle so far just to add and lump that on top is is pretty crazy state college has been a pretty sleepy place for recent months without students around uh, without football camps to cover but we all know this is home to the second largest football stadium in the United States and it's not going to be what it normally is here on campus and and that's going to nullify a lot of those you know, weekend visits that we've talked about in the past where you don't get this guy if he doesn't get to campus for a weekend. Keziah Holmes, John Dunmore, Kevon Lee, the Florida guys. Um, there's other examples out there who aren't Florida guys, but you know, players who, who, who need the plane ticket and they need to spend 48 hours to feel any kind of sense about campus, about what life might be like. How do those guys handle the situation? Do we see guys kind of fall back to something familiar? Could that impact Penn State with some of the local kids maybe? Does does Penn State have to fall back to something more familiar with guys that they have a better read on that maybe weren't high on their priority list, let's say, early this spring? Um, a lot to learn on the recruiting trail. One thing we have heard consistently from players, Sean, during these calls is the understanding that their lives beyond the football field are also going to need to adjust if they want to have a football season. Uh, we've heard players like Keaton Ellis, Jahan Dotson discuss the accountability about not going out and, and maybe attending uh, the party after the game or showing up to a house that has 60 people packed into it um, you know, on, on a random evening, at which college life often leads to. And, and anybody who's lived on a campus can attest to um, you know, that social life is going to take a hit. And, and and that's a reality and a sacrifice here on the coaching staff. I'm sure there are several examples, but James Franklin, uh, you know, came to the forefront this week. He did a couple of interviews. He was on HBO. Uh, he was on Fox Sports, and he will actually be separated from his family during the course of this 2020 season, assuming that plan stays in place. Uh, he's got a residence in Florida. Uh, of course, we discussed this back when, when everybody left campus and we got James Franklin in late March. His youngest daughter, Addison, 12 years old, 
has sickle cell disease. And he, he makes it clear to say it's not a trait. She's got the, she's got the full on sickle cell disease. That's an autoimmune issue. That is a serious underlying issue when we discuss the impact of COVID-19. And because of that, uh, they decided to homeschool uh, going into the 2020-2021 school year. And that's going to take place down in Florida because James Franklin, um, you know, he, he, sa- he said it on the interview on Fox yesterday. You know, the girls are usually around the football facilities. They come to practices. We've seen them there. They come to games. They encounter a bunch of people. And right now, you know, James Franklin, he is the face of the franchise. You know, he's, he's arguably the face of Penn State at a national level. And he's the guy who's going to come in contact with a ton of people on a weekly basis, even as they restrict contact. And, you know, going home at night, going home in the afternoon to see his daughters, you know, that's something that could set them up for a risk. And because of that, we're talking about maybe going four or five months without being in contact with his kids, going to have to rely on technology, and of course his wife as well. And, and that's yeah, any, anyone with kids, I don't have them, you do. Uh, people have joked during the process, oh, it'd be nice to get a little time away. We're talking about you know a huge chunk where a football coach who is so, so uh, heavily scrutinized by the public and also it, it spends his days nitpicking what he can do better. It's a high stress job. It's a high paying job, but it's a taxing thing. And, and often for these guys, the light at the end of the tunnel are, are those few minutes, the few hours that they can carve out during the day, day to day process during the season. They can come home, turn on the TV with, with their kid, talk about something other than football, other than the life they have going on inside those football facilities. That's going to be a challenge this year for James Franklin. Oh, no doubt about it. And I, I know he gets paid a lot of money, but at the end of the day, he is human. Uh, for the most part, he is human. Um, so we've got uh, a lot that's going on and, and the risk that would come along with with going home to his kids after being in a building with a hundred and some people. You know, it's it's understandable. And I know that that not everybody, obviously not everybody has the resources and the opportunities that they have, but I have no problem with anybody doing what they can to, to keep their family safe. So that's uh, it, it's a tough situation to think about from a from a father perspective, from a family perspective, um, from a, a, a time spent perspective. I mean, that's going to be a lot of idle time for him, too. So um, don't feel that bad with him because we've seen his contract. But at the end of the day, as a human being, that that sucks. So, yeah, it's going to be a big change for a lot of people. Um, you know, I, I don't know. How that's going to, you know, will it will it affect how he coaches? Will it affect his mindset? I I don't know. I think that's kind of irrelevant to discuss right now. Maybe we talk about that in August or September or something like that. But uh, yeah, man, as as a human, as a father, I mean, that's that's tough because he's so close. He loves those girls. He's so close to them. And of course, having being being away not only from them but also your wife who listens to you vent is able to you know take some of that steam off. You know, that's uh, that's tough thing tough thing to deal with. And this is not going to be necessarily a unique thing across sports when we see the professional athletes coming back, certainly college athletes. A lot of people are going to have close connections, whether it's children, significant others, parents who have serious issues. And and if they're getting back into the workforce, uh, you know, whatever the setting is, whether it's with a football franchise or or a baseball team, uh, you know, all of a sudden your risk is jumping. And and it's a great reward in this profession. A lot the reward is much greater than than most of you out there who are preparing to go back to work or have already gone back to work. Uh, but as you said, the the human side of this and the separation from loved ones has been difficult on all of us, and, and that's regardless of, of what your direct deposit shows up every couple of weeks. Players are already feeling the changes, Sean. We, we talked about the phased return. That's something that's different. We talked about guys showing up in masks and getting their temperatures taken when they get to Haluba Hall. 
one thing here that that uh, has popped up from recent player interviews the last couple of weeks is although they are on campus and, and now we're talking 80 plus players for Penn State, maybe more than that, now here in Happy Valley reunited a bit. They're not truly reunited right now as a team. They are really uh, relegated to uh, restricted workout hours, um, oftentimes involving only the guys that they live among or are, are already kind of uh, uh, with, whether whether they live with them, whether they're in the same kind of positional unit. And we've heard that that is a challenge. A lot of these guys uh, are, are focused on trying to ramp up team chemistry along the way. Uh, but it goes beyond just having to wear these gator masks inside the workout and, and maybe sweating a little extra and, and, and maybe getting some, uh, some, some nasty acne or something on your neck or we, we've heard about that too. But I, I think what's worse here is the fact that while you do have the roster coming together, um, they are still separate. Uh, because of the circumstances. And that's a challenge that everyone's going to face. Um, and, and I'll tell you what, uh, it, it, you can hear it in their voices that they're kind of longing for just having a, a sense where they can walk among their, their teammates, give high fives, give hugs, and, and, and just you know, be a team again. They're not there yet. Yeah, that player lounge uh, is, a, is a spot that they like to, to congregate. And that's not an option right now because you just, you know, you can be in certain pods with your, your roommates or your guys and that, that will continue to grow. And as we get closer to those July workouts, that's going to be something that, uh, you know, continues to come together. But until then, it's, it's tough. I mean, there's, uh, there's really not much you can do about it other than do the things that you're supposed to do. And if you do that, if you know somebody, I think somebody once said, take care of the little things and the big, big things will take care of themselves. You know, that's something that they can probably live by and probably uh, translate for into their current team. So I, I mean, I, it's, it's going to be a long summer. Let's, let's be honest with you for, for those guys, for us, for everybody listening here, it's going to be a long summer. So um, as long as they take care of business, maybe they'll, they'll, put themselves in a position to be where they want to be in the fall. And that's back in Beaver stadium playing football. Um, like I said, long summer, as we promised earlier this week, by the way, we got two kickers uh, on uh, uh, for, for media availability. We got Jordan Stout and Jake Pinniger this week. So I don't know what you're complaining about. That's as exciting as it gets, right? It was tremendous to get those guys. And, and yeah, the summer is going to be very interesting, but the summer is one thing dynamics are going to change in a big way if Penn State remains on track to, to open things back up to, to every other student on August 24th. That's when you, you face a, another shift, another challenge in this process to have a football season, to have a program, to have a functioning in-person campus. A lot to learn between now and then, and I know the economy of this community is very reliant upon things working out. So obviously we're hoping for the best. We will bring you the latest as we get some insight from the team on the podcast here. But yeah, getting back to football itself, we did get Jordan Stout, Jake Pinniger, uh, two kickers who are back. And, and, and Stout is the really interesting case here because came to campus last year after being a walk-on at Virginia Tech. We talked all season, how the heck did the Hokies let this kid leave without handing him a scholarship? Uh, he's from Virginia. Ends up at Penn State, kills it as a kickoff specialist, ends up being this awesome long-range field goal weapon for you. Um, you know, halftime against Pitt, where you needed just about every point in that game. Um, you know, he goes out there, drills, a, I think it was a, a record-tying field goal for Penn State at halftime, showed a lot of that uh, strength. This year, you're looking at a third role he'll be picking up. That is punter. 
he is listed as the first team guy right there. Um, it's been kind of talked about since last year. Blake Gilligan pointed to him as a guy he felt confident could replace him. He started punting as a sophomore in high school when he started kicking. So this isn't something that they're just throwing his way now. Uh, but that's a lot on one guy's plate. Kickoff specialist, 50 plus beyond field goals and a punter. Uh, but wow, if he can pull it off and he can do it at a high level, again, we're talking about the, uh, a major win in the transfer portal market for Penn State. And by the way, you've got him through 2021. And, and we would talk about right now, it, it, since Gilligan graduated, we'd talk about breaking in a maybe a freshman or a redshirt freshman or something like that to have the experience that he's had, you know, and he hasn't punted in a game or anything like that. But still, to, to be out there, to do the kickoffs, to do the field goals, he's been in pressure situations as a field goal kicker. I mean, it makes sense in terms of, uh, you know, why you should be optimistic about the punting game. We know that they can cover kicks. I mean, Joe Lorig's done a fantastic job in, in his one year, and I think that translates over to what they're doing. So just not, I mean, Blake Gilligan's one of the best punters in, in program history. Losing him is, you know, it's, you're probably going to take a small step back, but not, not a big leap or anything like that. So I'm excited to see what Jordan Stout can do. He's got the big leg. Um, seems to be a, a trait of uh, all the kickers in this building and the ones that eventually will get into this building. Sander Sahayak, uh, the, the commitment in the 2020 class, excuse me, 2021 class bombing 72 yarders on Twitter is pretty, pretty cool to see. So big legs all around. Uh, I think they uh, pride themselves on that and, the, and they're building an elite special teams room if, it, if it's not already there. Yeah, Pinnaker, I think, you know, really shored things up last year. And, and, you know, he wasn't called upon to go out there and, and connect on 55 yarders. That job went to Stout. But, you know, this is a guy that, that, that you know, cert- certainly flashed at times as a true freshman, uh, handed that job. Uh, 16 of 24 as a freshman, left room for improvement there. But no Big Ten kicker had more field goals in conference action. He broke the school's freshman scoring record back in 2018. Um, but I look at last year, 11 of 12 on his field goal tries. He was perfect from 40 yards out. Uh, he had a 45-yard kick in the Cotton Bowl that was really key for Penn State. Um, and, and, you know, and I, I think if, if he is somebody who can continue to to sharpen his skills from that range and, and, and get it done in extra points. By the way, Pinnaker's first ever game, he had to kick an extra point with seconds on the clock to send that game to overtime against Appalachian State. How about that for a welcome to college moment? If he is is continuing his career, uh, the trajectory that we've seen through two seasons and Stout it can be that punter and, and, and you no, know, it doesn't have to be Blake Gilligan. Maybe he'll be better than Blake Gilligan, but even if you're getting something similar, you're looking at a very well-rounded uh, group of weapons there with, with those two. Um, and I think the return game has a lot of potential this year as well, extending it to, to what Joe Lorig is doing there and, and the names that have been mentioned um, as possibly taking over in those spots. Um, but I, I think you got to be really happy because we've talked about this in the past, Sean, there are teams out there that assemble the five stars and four stars at every position, but seemingly struggle year after year after year to find consistent, good specialist play. And when it gets down to it and, and you're in a game that's going to depend on two or three points, it kills these teams and it costs them a game that, that may cost them a shot to win a conference championship doesn't look to be any kind of Achilles heel for Penn State. And in fact, it may be a an extreme strength when measured up against a lot of their peers in the top upper echelon for college football. 13 of 15 on field goals. I mean, you'll take that. I mean, that that's still, it's and even then it's 10 fewer field goals than they attempted the, the year before. So, I mean, it's, uh, you know, that's a good spot. If you're not, if you're not kicking a lot of field goals, that's fine. Um, but, you know, if, when you do, you make them, 
that's a pretty good thing to, to, to go with. And I think pinnaker has been underrated the way that he was able to change up his, not change up his game, but you think about the trajectory of his kicks in the last, or when he was a freshman, I mean, he was flat, he was pushing the ball, you know, getting kicks blocked and things like that last year. Really did not see that very much at all. He missed one, I think, between 30 and 39. That was his only miss all year. So, I mean, it's a, it's a pretty good spot to be if you're if you're talking about that. The return game is interesting to me. I'm not sure who's really going to step up, but you've got plenty of options to do so. I mean, let's be honest, the return game outside of those, those kicks that were called back and the punt that was called back uh, for K.J. Hamler really didn't do a ton last year anyway. So like to see that uh, hold steady or take a step forward. Guys like Devin Ford may, may be able to white work in there. Kaziah Holmes, we've talked about working in there. Keaton Ellis, Marquise Wilson uh, from the defensive side of the ball. Jahan Dotson is probably your punt returner right now. I mean, it's a, there's, a, there's a lot to like there. And I don't know it's I don't know that anyone's Hamler, and I wouldn't expect anyone to, to think anyone's going to be Hamler, but you've got an opportunity to get in there and, and get some positive yardage. I just think it's a really good special teams unit, and that's going without uh, saying guys like uh, uh, Drew Hartlob covering punts and things like that. We saw how big of an impact that Hartlob and Dan Chisena had last year covering punts. I can see that again this year as that athleticism, overall athleticism on the roster continues to, to grow and, and get better. Those coverage teams will do the same. So uh, really interested to see how that goes. And and with these freshmen playing the four games, you get a chance to run them out there. Guys like Tyler Rudolph get uh, uh, get some experience uh, running down kicks and things like that. So it's it, it's it's all a cycle, and it's you know I think it's turning up for Penn State. Uh, Joe Lorig mentioned on a call this spring that you have to get these scholarship offers right at the specialist position because oftentimes guys aren't turning down a scholarship offer to kick or punt for a program like Penn State. Jake Pinnegar is on scholarship. Jordan Stout is on scholarship. Unless I'm wrong, Sean, those are the two kicking, punting specialists who are on scholarship right now. Both of them obviously maximizing uh, that opportunity. Penn State's got to be happy with that. And as you said, Sander Sahadak showing off his leg with these Twitter videos will be on campus next year in the 2021 class, ready to, to work his way toward replacing those guys. But you're looking at having three scholarship kickers on campus in 2021. And by the way, Jordan Stout says he feels like adding adding the punting to his repertoire. Um, he, he says that the, the most consistent pass for a specialist to the NFL are kickoff specialist and punting. Uh, so, so he's pretty happy about that combo because that is uh, his goal is to get to the league like many of his teammates um these guys have been working at state high um we have heard that actually from a few uh different penn state players i i don't necessarily know what they're going about to access the field if they're just walking over and and going to the state high practice field but uh, they've been getting some work in one thing that was interesting here is pinnaker has been working on being a holder for stout and and stout said at first it was pretty messy uh right now it feels like jake pinnaker could be that guy and so you're looking at if it's a 40-yard field goal, Stout holding for Pinnegar. And if it's a 55-yard field goal, Pinnegar holding for Stout. What an interesting combination that would be. That was another job that Blake Gillikin had in recent years. And that is a job that is so important that we never talk about it unless something goes wrong once. Got to figure out how to do some sort of trick play out of that with uh, yeah. with two kickers out there. But you're right. And, and going back to your last point, I don't think uh, we talk enough and give the staff enough credit in hindsight, what they did with their special, their scholarship specialists, because you think back a couple of years ago, uh, they had Gillikin committed, they had Quinn Nordine committed, Nordine backs out, they go with Alex Barbier. 
I mean, it becomes very evident early in, in Alex Barbio's career that he wasn't going to be at the level that they needed to go. They went out, they got Jake Pinniger. Um, they, they basically usually have a four-year rotation with that scholarship and they decided, okay, well, Jake Pinniger, or we need somebody. Pinniger's got a big leg that, that they think can be at this level. And, you know, granted that wasn't Joe Lurie, but at the same time, they made the decision to sort of cut bait with Barbier, go with Pinniger, and it's worked out. They did the same last year. They were going to offer a punter at uh, the camp or they wanted to see somebody. Didn't really work out. They found Jordan Stout. And they just went a different a different way about finding him. It's worked out pretty well. So give a lot of credit to the staff in terms of what they've been able to do with scholarships at those positions because they are so valuable. And if you don't hit on that, I mean, just imagine where they would be if they've got a substandard kicker right now. Um, you know, no, no disrespect to, to Barbier, but if they have a guy that isn't getting the job done or really wasn't going to get the job done, I mean, you're kind of sitting there for a couple of years with that scholarship tied up. And so what they did, I mean, I don't think they get enough credit for it. I mean, it's it, it's their job, obviously, but I don't think they get enough credit for the way that they've been able to assemble this room. And like we said, they got lucky with Tyler Davis, but since then it's been about the right moves that they've made. Talking kickers, our new segment here on the podcast. Every episode we'll spend 10 minutes breaking down the specialist room. Now that's going to be it on the kickers for a little while. If you feel like you need some more information on Jordan Stout, Jake Pinniger, they'll be Happy to give you the information themselves. We got video up on lines247.com with each of those guys, their virtual press conferences that we had this week. It was Stout's first time in a media session with us, uh, which was interesting. I don't think that's that's an easy way to break through. We've had Jake in person a time or two before, but uh, it was the debut for Stout. So check those videos out up on the site. We're going to get to our uh, Jimmy Christ interview, the freshman offensive lineman who got to campus. We also have a mailbag coming your way. But first, let's get to some recruiting, Sean, some notes from the last few days. Uh, One popping up on Thursday is that George Wilson, the defensive end out of Virginia that Penn State has had their eyes on in that position, uh, setting a commitment date. It is July 12th. Nittany Lions, one of those finalists. But stop if you heard this before. North Carolina, the team to look at right now in his recruitment. It's unbelievable. I mean, just knowing what North Carolina, that 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 tradition of that school, I grant granted Mac Brown obviously has a track record as a coach, but they have really, really turned that thing around and done a phenomenal job of, of, of just pushing at that bump as far as it will go basically. So we'll see what happens on the field, but yeah, I, I like North Carolina here have for a while. North Carolina actually was a late offer, but when you look back at his recruitment, he did visit North Carolina, even though they hadn't offered yet, he did visit them. So none of his other finalists, I don't believe, got visit. I think Wake Forest got a visit, but they're not in that top four with South Carolina, Arizona State, and Penn State. Thought Penn State was in a good spot, but the longer it went along without a visit, I mean, that's obviously something that uh, you know held them back in this recruitment. It's, it's another hit at defensive end because there's not really a ton of them out there. Um, just uh, kind of plugging along and seeing what's up next. I know they talked to uh, uh, Davon Townley from Minnesota last night. Alan True reported on our board. They had a Zoom call with him. So maybe he's the next guy up. Uh, similar tra- uh, traits, similar characteristics to George Wilson, but I mean, you just uh, just keep missing at that position. That's uh, with, with the numbers being what they are. That's a that's a tough one. Wilson, a four star prospect out of Green Run High School in Virginia Beach, uh, crystal ball certainly pointing towards the Tar Heels. Worth noting here, uh, he told Brian Doan that he did have a Zoom call with Penn State on Wednesday. John Scott leading the way in, in that conversation, and John Scott uh, leading the way to get him getting him an offer. Previously pursued him on behalf of the South Carolina Gamecocks before making the move to Happy Valley. 
Um, another and, and, Virgin- they, and they offered him on March 25th. I mean, it's not like right. it was a late offer or anything like that. But I mean, by March 25th, you weren't visiting any schools. So they offered him there. Uh, North Carolina came on May 11th and offered him. But like I said, he's been to North Carolina before. That's really the only school that he knows the surroundings of that he's been to. So it's been... Uh, yeah, it's a, it's another tough one. I mean, we I know we we talk a lot about the excuses and the reasonings and all that kind of stuff, and the, a lot of them are perfectly legitimate. I think this one, you know, you you sort of put that one up there, and it's your job to sell. You know, it's your job to sell Penn State to those guys. But if you can't get them to campus, you can't get them to campus. Right. That's uh, there's really not much you can do about that. So, uh, John Scott, you know, plowing uphill, I guess we would say. Some things are excuses and some things are just reasons. And unless you offered a kid about halfway through his junior year of high school, you weren't going to be able to get him on campus. I mean, unless you were going to offer a kid by, you know, February of his junior year to sign him as a senior, you didn't know that was going to happen. But right now it looks like you may never be able to get him on campus until he's going to sign. We don't know. So yeah, it's 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 a tough tough thing to to sell. And again, I don't know how you would go about feeling comfortable if you're James Franklin, if you're John Scott, accepting a commitment from a prospect who has never set foot on your campus. That I mean, that that's that's concerning in its own right. It's nice to get those wins. It's great for publicity. But how good do you feel about it long term? That things are going to work out. He's going to sign with you and feel comfortable once he actually enrolls. There, there's a lot that goes into that. Um, staying in Virginia, uh, another defensive end to know this one in the 2022 class, a kid that I caught up with earlier this week at a Chantilly high school, Aiden Gobira. He is a rising junior, Sean, and, and he's a guy that, that you mentioned a couple times this week. And I can confirm this after talking with him. Penn state is very much, um, uh, at the forefront of this recruitment so far. And he's a kid who I'm sure with all the offers coming his way would love to go explore. He can't explore right now. Notre Dame's a player here, but he told me that Penn state is the number one priority when campus visits are allowed. He wants to get to that campus. Yeah. This is a kid that blew up, uh, in the spring is probably one of those spring evaluation guys that a lot of schools would have liked to stop by and see in person. Obviously he's got some, some legitimate height to him. He's got some length to him and, and, and the tape looks good. A bunch of offers all over the place. I see Penn State and Notre Dame as the two. And that's, uh, you know, something he kind of reflected with you. I know we talked to Tom Loya, 24 seven sports this week. He's a guy that I can realistically see ending up in Penn State's 2022 class. Um, moving ahead a little bit here uh, into Maryland, a familiar school for Penn State fans, DeMatha Catholic. Penn State's had some great recruiting wins there. They've had a few misses there, but it's a place you go back to year after year after year. And another name to know there in their junior class, the 2022 group, Kevin Winston. He's going to play running back. He's going to play free safety. He's going to play receiver for DeMatha Catholic. Um, and he's going to get a lot of attention from Power 5 schools. Penn State uh, is a program that offered late spring, um, and he told me that that because of his communication consistently with Golden Israel Achumba and Koziah Izard, two members of Penn State's freshman class, the 2020 signees, uh, that's going to go a long way for him gaining intel into Penn State. Uh, right now, he's got Maryland, Penn State, Pitt, South Carolina, Tennessee. Got a lot of options uh, on the table going early. Penn State telling him that they're recruiting him as an athlete. So you're looking at offense or defense when it comes to Kevin Winston. Uh, kind of something similar to Zaki Wheatley uh, as his recruitment evolved down in Maryland and, and committed to the 2021 class. Uh, but, you know, there's always a name to know at DeMatha, isn't there, Sean? 
No, absolutely. Always a few names to know, really. Absolutely. This is a guy that was offered back in May. And, uh, you know, I actually reached out to some people because I wasn't sure. I mean, he's running back safety. You could could list a lot of positions for him. What position is Penn State looking at him as? Athlete. (laughs) So we're just going (laughs) to throw him into that tab, see where he works out. Because, you know, he's he's just a really good all-around athlete, legitimate athlete. So uh, interested to see where he ends up at the next side, at the next level on which side of the ball he ends up. Cause I don't even know that right now, but, uh, you know, a- anytime you can get into Namatha and like we said, you're trying to get a jump start on some of these places and, and those offers come along. Another guy that they offered, uh, earlier in the process, Nick Singleton from, from governor Mifflin in the Reading area. He was a camp for Penn state last year. I actually wrote about him a little bit, uh, last week or was it this week? I don't even know what week it is, man. Uh, with, uh, the whiteout camp last year and Steve Wiltfong had a feature on him a lot of schools coming after him very hard including Penn State uh, it's interesting to me because uh, Singleton is a yeah, unquestionably a great athlete. He went to the Spark Combine last year, put up some ridiculous numbers for an underclassman. Uh, just uh, he's got a lot of things going for him. He's a running back. I don't know that he's an elite running back. We have him very high on, on our rankings, obviously. But in terms of the running back, how it translates to the next level, I know a lot of these schools, uh, the bigger schools are like, can this guy play defense? Can he play safety? Can he play linebacker? I know Penn State wanted to get him back for camp last year and work him out on the defensive side of the ball. Doesn't really play defense in high school. So it's an interesting sort of uh, uh, juxtaposition when you take his recruitment and obviously playing at Governor Mifflin in, in, in Berks County. You know, he's he's a bigger fish. He's more athletic than the guys around him. Um, and he's, like I said, he's a legitimate athlete. But you, you take that away and put him in, uh, you know, a bigger palm where you're, you say, say an Alabama's looking at him, Ohio State's looking at him. I mean, is his best position running back? I'm not sure, you know, and but 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 we don't have the evidence to to point to his defensive film or any defensive film really really and say this kid's gonna end up playing defense in college and being a good one. So still jury's still out on Nicholas Singleton, great athlete, great football player. Where does he end up at the next level? I think whoever signs him is going to have to recruit him as a running back. That's what he wants to be. And I think Penn State's going to recruit him as a running back, per se. Um, but it's uh, it's just a really interesting uh, recruitment. And this is a guy that uh, you know Penn State was on fairly early. I don't know that they're in the driver's seat or anything like that. But you've got uh, an opportunity to get him back to campus whenever you do and, and, and see what happens from there. But uh, it's, a, it's just a, it's a lot of things going on in his recruitment. That offer arrived last summer. He, he came to a Penn State camp, ended up with an offer in, in Ju- early July, I believe. So before his sophomore season at Gover- Governor Mifflin, enlisted 5'11", 195 pounds. You mentioned some of his strong performance uh, in, in the spark testing. Um, that goes with a 4'59", laser time, 40-yard dash, and a 4'08", shuttle. That was documented. Number eight, running back nationally, number 84 overall in 24-7 sports, top 247 for the 2022 class, and, and clearly an in-state prospect to know. Um, Wilt Fong, uh, Steve Wilt Fong has a story up on Lines 24-7 about kind of where this recruitment is evolving, but uh, just an initial takeaway, Penn State has been in steady communication here. That shouldn't be surprising, but so is Ohio State. Ohio State is, is, a, is a factor here. It seems like Ohio State's been a factor for a lot of these Pennsylvania talents that, that Penn State has pursued. Northwestern, also a team to watch, uh, interestingly enough, out of the Big Ten. They've, they've been uh, pretty consistent with this recruitment. So he'll be a name that we'll continue to, to keep tabs on. And certainly if they had Penn State camps this summer, he would have been one of those guys we circle on the, on the roster for that camp and would have kept close tabs on, but uh, not happening this time around. In terms of Pennsylvania prospects and who's left out there in the 2021 class, 
outside of Nolan Rucci, the offensive lineman, uh, names don't get much bigger than Derek Davis. He was the first uh, offer for Penn State in the 2021 cycle as a freshman. Um, he is a player who has developed a tremendous relationship long-term with Terry Smith. Uh, that ties back to the high school program. Uh, but big news coming yesterday for Penn State fans, I think, because they, they put stock into what Brian Doan's looking at in the crystal ball. And as of Thursday, Sean, He's got a crystal ball pick in for Penn State with Derek Davis and fairly high on the confidence meter, seven out of 10. Ohio State, a real player in this one as well. I agree. Uh, I mean, it's uh, this is something that Don and I have talked about a lot in the last couple of weeks. Of course, I talked to Derek Davis recently. Um, you know, he's talked to some people in, in different programs where, where they feel that they're looking and, you know, Ohio State's still in there and they just lost, uh, Devontae Smith, uh, to decommitted and I think he's going to end up flipping to Alabama, but, uh, you know, there's still one more spot in that, in that class and that defensive backfield class as well. So that's something to look at. But yeah, I mean, just from talking to Derek Davis, from talking to people around, I mean, Penn State seems to feel good about their chances and other schools seem to feel like, Penn State, you know, should feel good about their chances. So I think that that's really what we're going with that. Um, you know, like I said, I talked to him a couple of weeks ago, came away. I thought Penn State's probably in a better spot than I thought they were to begin with. So um, going to be a long time. He's not going to be forced into a decision. This doesn't change anything with with his plan or his recruitment. He's not. This is not one of those crystal balls where I think he's on the verge of doing something. And then all of a sudden you see, you know, crystal balls flying his way. But uh, I think it's more of a pulse of the situation right now. And he wants to take those visits, get out and try and get to officials and, and see what he can do. And like we keep going back to how long is this dead period going to go on? That's going to be one of those guys that's probably affected the most is Derek Davis. Terry Smith, defensive uh, cornerbacks coach, your defensive recruiting coordinator for Penn State, former head coach at Gateway, former star player at Gateway. Um, that that was pretty influential in getting former Gateway standout Jaquan Brisker on board uh, out of the JUCO ranks recently. And, and now Derek Davis has been at the forefront at Gateway for really throughout his high school career. Uh, another name to know here, way away from Pennsylvania, uh, Swedish defensive lineman. Sean, this is officially your beat. I've got Canada. You've got the Euros covered. Um, another one of those PPI products to know, Thomas Collins. Penn State is, is his first big offer. I don't think they'll be his last. And, um, you know, from that uh, really fertile football area just north of Stockholm. Of course. I mean, who who isn't familiar with that? And I'm sure you just mentioned Terry Smith in the last segment. I'm sure he wants to check him out in person yeah. and as he's well-traveled. And they went to Germany last year. But uh, another in that PPI recruits, uh, not really pipeline, but another in that program that Penn State has been active in. Of course, Joseph Darkwa is on campus now. They've uh, offered a couple of other kids from those, uh, those from from that program that haven't ended up here, but still great relationship there. I know Brandon Collier played for Sean Spencer at UMass. So a bit of that relationship goes with Spencer to the Giants. But uh, for the most part, Penn State has kept it up really well. They offered two 2023 kids, Thomas Collins in Sweden, Hero Canoe in uh, uh, Germany, who's a, a Nigerian that, that lives in Germany. So um, they're, they're trying to get in early with these guys. I really not a ton of, uh, I guess, they're not held to these offers, really, to be honest with you. I mean, 2023 offers are, are one thing in the States. Overseas, I mean, you, you got to think that, you know, you got to get these guys to camp. You got to see what they do. And then, you know, maybe you were the first bug in the ear. Maybe you're the first uh, school to reach out or something like that. So that's going to mean something later on. I think these guys, both these guys, uh, Collins and Canoe, look really good on, on tape and their workout tape. And I think that's really what it comes down to is, hey, maybe these guys grow into, uh, you know, four and five star defensive tackles, you know, maybe not. But, you know, maybe they do that. And if they do that, 
you're sort of covering yourself and getting out there and, you know, you're keeping up that relationship with uh, with that whole European conglomerate and PPI and, and things like that. And I think it's cool. I talked to Collins uh, last week or two weeks ago or when, whenever it was that, that we caught up. Uh, he was so happy. I, I love these European kids, man. They're so happy to talk to you. Uh, some of them are great in English. Some of them are not. Uh, Collins' father is from Detroit, so he's got a little bit uh, a, a little leg up there. Um, so it's, uh, it's, it's been pretty cool to interact with them and they're just so humble and so, uh, fresh to the process and everything like that. So it's really cool, um, to, to, to come across and, and Collins seemed to, to know some of his stuff. He knew enough about football, even though his dad's from Detroit to know that he really shouldn't like the lions cause they lose a lot. So I think that that was something <laughs> that, uh, you know, you, you can point to and say, okay, maybe he does know football a little bit. So it's like, maybe if he grew up in DC and his dad was a Redskins fan or something like that, like my kids will go through. But anyway, uh, I digress. Uh, no, it was, it, it was cool to talk to him and, and, you know, just to get that, uh, first impression there, I think is a big deal. Um, dark, why I think was a completely different kind of prospect. I mean, you, you really, really raw, but now that they've started this sort of, uh, combine circuit, camp circuit, developmental circuit type thing. Now maybe these prospects that start coming out of Germany maybe are a little bit more ready than he was. And and just looking at the tape and looking at these guys working out, I mean, they kind of look like Darkwa did as a as a senior prospect. So uh, really interested to see these kids develop over the next couple of years. And, and like I said, they they've been fantastic in terms of th- of guys to talk to and things like that. So uh, interested to see which direction that goes. But you know, you just put kind of put that one in the memory bank. Yeah, virtual combine is something we talked about. Penn State working to implement this offseason. You'd imagine that that is extremely, extremely important when we're talking about an international recruits, particularly in today's time where we don't know what travel restrictions are going to look like tomorrow, much less next year. So, uh, keep tabs on him. Sean's got the story up with greater detail online 247.com about you know, the Swedish defensive lineman that Penn State put a scholarship offer out to. Just a ho-hum headline right there. We'll come back in a moment. We've got Jimmy Christ, one of the new offensive linemen to check in in Happy Valley as a member of the 2020 class. I'll hear about his story, his background, and what he looks ahead to during his time in Nittany Lions uniform. And our five-star mailbag right around the corner. First, a quick word from our sponsors. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Here on the Lions 24-7 podcast, we have really embraced the opportunity to put a spotlight on the newest Penn State football players, the 2020 recruiting class, now transitioning to the 2020 freshman class. And phase two of the return of football to Happy Valley involves that group. And Jimmy Christ, by the time you folks hear this interview, will be on campus underway with college life for now in final preparations back home in Virginia. 
a player who flipped his commitment from the Virginia Cavaliers last November, signed with the program in December, and is now a Nittany Lion. We welcome you aboard. And, and Jimmy, starting off, what have you been up to? This is uh, a delayed arrival to campus. How are you staying sharp and preparing yourself for life at Penn State? Yeah, I mean, I've just been trying to make the most out of it. I've been doing, uh, I've been able to graduate early despite the coronavirus. Uh, so I've been able to get in all the meetings and try and learn the playbook. And then I've also been training a lot more. I've been training like five to six days a week. And I've been I've been training with like a lot of really good players. So I feel like that's definitely helped me. And they've been pushing me too. Although you are still awaiting your arrival to campus, you've been pretty engaged with this offensive line group at Penn State. What are the conversations like to make sure that you're already breaking the ice with that group before you're actually physically involved in day-to-day life with them? Yeah, I mean, they've all been great. Like a lot of the uh, veteran linemen who've been there and started for like three years have reached out to me. So that was, pr- that was pretty awesome. Uh, I just go to them with questions. Uh, Coach Trotwine's pretty uh, patient with me. We've been like working on getting the playbook down. And uh, I mean, obviously the playbook's going to be a lot harder than what I'm used to, but I feel like I've adjusted to it well and I've been going over it a lot. So that's been pretty good. Jimmy, you will be one of four Penn State offensive linemen heading to campus here in June, but one of your classmates in the 2020 group already got a head start as an early enrollee in January, has a semester under his belt, no spring practices yet, but what's the early word from Nick Dawkins on how this transition is going to go? Yeah, I mean, he talks to all the incoming linemen, like we have a group chat and we always talk and he always like tells us what to expect from workouts. Uh, I mean, he. I FaceTime him every once in a while. We go over the playbook sometimes. So he's been a big help, not just for that, but for other stuff, just like explaining what I should expect when I arrive on campus. Last December on signing day, Penn State put out a release and listed you at six foot seven, 300 pounds. Does that still stand true today? Has that changed at all? Basically the same. I was at, uh, I got my physical yesterday and I was six, seven and a half, 305. So just a little bit more in both categories. Yes. Yeah, uh, <laughs> defensive end Bryce Mostella might, and I emphasize might, rival you in terms of height. But when we talk about sheer physical mass, you are the biggest member of a 27-player Penn State recruiting class here in 2020. Can you take us into your development from that standpoint? Was there a huge growth spurt that that changed everything for you, or has it just been consistently Jimmy Christ is the biggest kid in his class? Mm-hmm. So I've always been uh, really big as a kid. And then towards the end of middle school, uh, I, I was really tall, but I like stopped growing for like a few years. And then, like, I started hitting my growth spurt again. And then, like, sophomore year, I was 6'6", and then junior year, I was 6'7". And then, like, since then, I've been, like, slowly but surely, like, 6'7 now. So as an incoming freshman, you have that match of, of height and weight, but they don't always necessarily develop at the same rate. Were you at some point a tall player who needed to put on the weight to, to kind of balance things out and to be an effective offensive lineman? Uh, freshman year, I was probably like in season, I was like six, four. And then from freshman to sophomore year, I got like really lanky. It's because basically I like grew and got stronger, but also like didn't gain any weight. So then I got like pretty skinny. And then 
since then I've just been like lifting a lot and growing into my body. So I feel like it's just evening it out more. And some serious meals are part of that process too, I'm sure. When we're referring to this lanky six foot six sophomore, what's the weight at that stage? Uh, I was like probably, I was like 260 sophomore year. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like two, I was like 260 after season. And then uh, in season, I was lighter. And then junior year, I was like 285. Uh, and then I just grew into like 305 now. But in season, I was probably like uh, close to 300. I was like 295. Did it take some time for your coordination to catch up with your growth? Or, or was it a pretty smooth you know, yeah. transition as you developed? Uh, I'd say every single step I've gotten more coordinated. It's not like, it's not like I took any steps back whenever I grew because, uh, I just like noticed whenever I watched my film and, uh, the workouts and stuff that I just gotten like each year I've gotten bigger, stronger and faster and adding like size. And, uh, obviously when I grew, it didn't really, didn't really make me more uncoordinated for anything. It helped me. Your genetics certainly do not hurt in this case, as we're going to get to in just a bit. You come from a family with significant college football playing experience. Uh, but looking at what awaits at, at Penn State, what is the plan for you from a physical standpoint? Where do, they, where do they see you compared to where you are now? And what's the plan for you from a positional standpoint? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I've talked to Coach Trotwan and Coach Franklin uh and I'm good to go with weight, so I think I'm right on the target. I was he wanted me to aim for 300 to 305 coming in, so I'm coming in like a week from now, so that's good weight. And then uh, it it all depends when I get there based on how I play at 305. And obviously, I, I can add more weight, but I want to add weight whenever I go there. And the nutritionist is with me, and we're adding like uh, weight by stages. And then uh, I'm def I'm definitely a tackle. I'm going to be playing both sides of the ball, though. So I've been practicing right and left side. Both tackle positions uh, for you going to be a focus. And, and you were a big-time uh, performer. I, I'm doing this more for the listeners, maybe for your ego, too. But a, a three-time All-State player down in Virginia. The last couple of years, it was a first. Yeah, actually, I was, I was only a two-time. So they get the, the senior so, <laughs> the senior year I didn't get it. So Penn State signing day release is is the one that's really bumping up your ego yeah. more than well, me. Okay, well, that, that was my fault because uh, I put three time like this is before the all state thing came out my senior year, which I mean I don't want to sound cocky, but I assumed I was going to get it because I got it sophomore and junior year, but I didn't get it, which I don't know. I didn't really care at that point. Well, it's already up on the Penn State website. There's a good chance it will be printed out that way as part of the media guide. So I won't tell anybody if you won't tell anybody about that one All-State selection difference. Um, in, in terms of your high school career, though, you earned the accolades, you earned the scholarship offers. Take us through your development the last few years, getting to the point where you were a legitimate Power 5 prospect. So uh, freshman year, I remember... Uh... My brother was a senior and I was a freshman. And then after our first scrimmage, they, uh, well, our first scrimmage, they put me, uh, I was like second team. And then I earned uh, a starter after our first scrimmage. So then I was playing right tackle. My brother was playing left tackle. Then after like two or three games, they switched us. So my brother was on the right side and I was on the left side. And then uh, 
he, we actually went pretty far that year. We went to the state semifinals. That was, that was a really fun year. And then sophomore year, I played left tackle the whole year. And then I also started at the end. And then uh, that's whenever like my recruiting started to go up and I started to get offers was like after our second week, our second game sophomore year. And then come junior year, was also uh, DN and then left tackle. Uh, basically the same kind of thing. My recruiting uh, was getting pretty hectic. And then I ended up committing uh, in April to UVA originally. And then my senior year, uh, I played DN again. And then for tackle, I was playing left tackle, but depending on like for for probably half the season, they'd move me to different sides depending on the play. If we're like, if they wanted me to pull or if they wanted to run to my side or if we had like a dangerous rush that game, uh, they'd move me to that side. So we did that and then ended up uh, flipping to Penn State right after our last game, which our last game was actually on a Thursday. And then I flipped on a Friday. I remember it well. I think I had just about landed in Minneapolis for the Big Ten matchup there between Minnesota and Penn State. Um, and, and when that news surfaced and, and you flipped into the class, we'll talk about that decision in just a moment, Jimmy. But let's talk about you flipping at the tackle position. Do you have a comfort level that is higher on the right side or the left side? Does it matter to you? I mean, right now, left tackle is more comfortable just because I've been doing it forever. But uh, I've been practicing a lot on right tackle. So I think I think I can do both pretty easy. And uh, I don't know, just... I've been playing since I was little and I've been playing both sides of the ball. So it doesn't really matter. I just need to keep uh, sharpening like my right side. Jimmy Christ was a top 30 offensive tackle prospect in 24 seven sports composite rankings for the 2020 class. And, very much comes from a football household. Jimmy, I know you know this information, but for our listeners, a quick review of, of these generations and, and relationships that have featured college football experience. Your father, Mike, played at the Naval Academy. Your brother, Mike, played at Monmouth University. That's a Division One program. Your brother, Matt, played at Virginia Tech. And your brother, Tommy, currently plays at Virginia in the Christ household, uh, do you come out of the womb and go right to the practice field? Yeah, I mean, it's it's not just football because I have uh, two sisters, too. My older sister uh, plays basketball at Appalachian State. She just finished her freshman year. But basically, like, we've been sworn into uh, sports since we were little because my uncle or my mom's brothers, they all played football in college. Uh, my dad's brother played at Rutgers. Uh, I mean, we're just like a big football family. And then the girls like focus on basketball. A lot of, a lot of height. I'm guessing also it, it, who's yeah. the, who's the biggest of your brothers? Is well, it you? Well, I'm the biggest. So my oldest brother's like six, two and a half. We always make fun of him, even though he's, he's not short. We just like make fun of him. Yeah. For uh, average people, that's actually tall and your family, <laughs> he's like a runt. Okay. Yeah. Uh, second oldest, uh, is Matt. He's like six, four, uh, Tommy six, five. Jackie's like six, two and a half. And then I'm six, seven. And then my little sister's, I don't know. I think she's five, 11 or five, 10. And Jackie's your sister who plays at Appalachian state. The one who's about six, two and a half. Okay. The fact that your dad played in Navy, that's a different ball. That's like a totally different realm of college football. Did you grow up in in like where workouts were scheduled ahead of time and kind of the expectations were laid out from a young age for you? 
Yeah, I mean, he's always been he's always been pretty strict, and then he's also coached us too. So I was kind of we get both sides of that, and then uh, I mean, the workouts it used to be more like that, but now it's more like we go off to our training place, and then uh, it's run by this guy named Eddie Mason, and he's he's he definitely pushes me harder than my dad ever could. So that's that's definitely harder. So I can't really complain about my dad's workouts. Early in 2019, you committed to Virginia. The plan was to join your brother in the offensive line room. What went into you reversing course, ending up at Penn State, and how much of a factor was that family presence in that decision-making process? I'd imagine more went into this than the average commitment flip because of your brother being there. So I would say... uh Whenever I decommitted, that was probably a harder decision originally than committing. And uh, like whenever I originally committed to UVA, I felt like, I don't know, I felt like I had to commit. I had to commit. And it was like after a visit and I felt kind of pressured. And uh, I don't know, as I just went through, I just felt like I would have a better experience at Penn State and making my own name and not. I mean, it's cool to play with your brother, but uh, I don't think that should just be the only reason why. And UVA has a nice program. It's just I felt like I felt like Penn State was a better uh, fit for me. That decision to make the move into Penn State's class comes at the end of your senior season, but the offer from the Nittany Lions dates all the way back to December 2018 when you're a junior. Was this a case of the coaching staff staying on you throughout the process, or was it more that their interest, again, spiked during your senior year? Yeah, so, I mean, they were recruiting me super hard. Uh, Basically, when I came down to it in April, it was basically I narrowed it down to Penn State and UVA, and then I decided UVA, and then since then, like, Penn State would – uh, check in every once in a while. And then they started like hitting me up again and then recruited me really hard uh, towards the end of my senior year or senior season. Once you decide to act on those feelings and make the commitment to Penn State leaving Virginia's class, was there a sense of surprise on either side of that equation, on both sides of that equation? Uh, I mean, it, it wasn't so a big surprise for Penn state. Cause, uh, I made that commitment to coach Franklin, uh, before I put it out and he knew about it, but, uh, it was, a, it was UVA didn't know it was coming, but, uh, I don't really know how to tell them. So I eventually, I, I called them before I decommitted and put it on, uh, social media and told them it was, it was a hard call, but I had to do it. Never an easy process for any prospect to go through. But once you're on board with Penn State, you got to campus uh, in November for a game. You got back to campus in December for an official visit. And really importantly, you started to get to know other members of that 2020 class because you joined late, because you didn't, say, have that experience dating back months and months with that group. How pivotal was that for you getting to know those guys that you're going to spend these upcoming years with? Like right after I committed, like a lot of the guys got in contact with me. Uh, like Nick Dawkins is already recruiting me before I decommitted. No uh, surprise so there. Yeah, I already knew him. And then uh, it was nice going on the uh, game visit because I got to like meet a lot of the guys, a lot of the offensive linemen. 
And then uh, since then, we're just like talking a lot online. And then uh, the official visit, we all got to hang out. So that was pretty fun. And then about two weeks after you sign, there's another twist in your recruitment. This time, it's because the coaching staff changes at Penn State. James Franklin opts to move on uh, from Matt Limegrover. Eventually, Phil Troutline is brought on board in January as the new offensive line coach. How did that transition go from your standpoint, and how quickly were you establishing a relationship with Troutline? Yeah, I mean, uh, there was like a good two weeks. Uh, we didn't know who our new offensive line coach was going to be, but I trusted that Coach Franklin was going to pick a good guy. And then when I heard it was Coach Troutwine and he called me, uh, immediately got excited because he also played offensive tackle and he's played in the NFL and he knows what it takes to get there. So Vic was a great pick and Vic uh, will definitely help me to reach my goals. Troutwine did not recruit any of the 2020 offensive linemen. He inherits your group, uh, came on board about a a month or so after signing day. But if he was the recruiter, put yourself in in that prospect's shoes again. Because of his background, you mentioned the NFL stuff. He's a two-time team captain with the Florida Gators, national champion down there. How much does that stuff matter, ultimately, uh, aside from what he's going to do for you on campus as a coach? That track record of what he accomplished as a player at your position, how important is that in the eyes of a young prospect? I mean, it definitely matters. Uh, I'd say uh, it's not just his accolades, but uh, I mean, he's a really good guy. He uh, he's, he's a really good teacher. That's what I've noticed from the meetings. Uh, it seems like all the older guys like him. So I definitely, uh, I definitely like him. So I think it was a good fit. For much of the time James Franklin has been at Penn State, the offensive line has been under the microscope as a spot on the field where if they take a big step forward, the program itself will take a big step forward toward national title contention, and it will open up the things that this team can accomplish on the offensive end. With the new coach there, with the new class coming in, with veteran leadership already on board, what do you see for the future of this offensive line at Penn State? Yeah, I mean, there, there's a lot of uh, older guys taking leadership, and I think everyone's goal on the offensive line is to uh, be the best offensive line in the country. So all the guys are uh, dialed in, and they all we all have the same goal. I am sure, like all freshmen in this class, you would love to be able to come to campus, put in work this summer, and hit the field as a contributing member of this roster during the 2020 season. That is easier said than done, of course. We've seen a lot of offensive linemen, red shirt, uh, year after year after year. Realistically, what are your personal expectations for 2020? Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, there's there's nothing wrong with uh, red shirting, so I'm, I'm totally for it. Uh, definitely need to keep, keep lifting, keep going in the weight room, uh, and try and get every opportunity I can. Let's start with the fact that you're actually going to be on campus here in June. That was something that just a month or so ago was not a certainty. You, your classmates, current members of the Penn State roster who've been around for for several years of the program, they did not know when they were going to get back to campus. For this to be happening now, for the ball to be rolling in the right direction, for your development, for the team's development, how crucial is this? Yeah, I mean... Uh, definitely worried about that. Uh, not as worried now because we've been having team meetings and discussing it, but, uh, just seeing like other places in the country that are starting to lock down again, that kind of concerns me because 
some of these teams, like, uh, like I think uh, Houston, there's yes. like another spike there. Yeah. So I don't think, I don't know how all their uh, players are going to be able to play and all that stuff. So it's, it's still scary. So we'll, we'll just wait and see, but. Focusing forward now, Jimmy, what are your intentions academically at Penn State? And what are your intentions in general capitalizing on this four or five year window of your life in a new setting? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, uh, I want to graduate as early as possible. I want to do that. I want to be on the honor roll, get good grades, Uh, take football as far as it, uh, it can for me. And, uh, I mean, just try and try and help the team to get as many wins as possible. Time will tell what awaits you, what awaits the Nittany Lions in these years to come. But for now, thanks so much for giving us a few minutes here on the Lions 24-7 podcast, getting a chance to learn more about you and getting a chance to put that out to the Nittany Lions fan base as they get acclimated with this new group. Jimmy, wishing you well. Hope to see you around campus in the near future. And I certainly hope to, to see you guys all out there in pads in just a matter of weeks. Yep. See you later. Again, a big thanks to Jimmy Christ for giving us his time just before arriving on campus. We've had a great opportunity on the podcast to speak with a ton of these 2020 uh, enrollees. You heard from a bunch of the early guys uh, during the winter, and now you're hearing from some of them more recently, like Micah Bowens, Malik Mega, Jimmy Christ. Uh, we'll get all these together and, and kind of put them a, 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 in a format where you can hear each of these freshman interviews up on the site, uh, kind of do a, a freshman, meet the freshman series. I'll have something up on this weekend, I think, uh, just in one spot so you can get better familiarized with these guys and really impressive group of young men. Um, let's turn our attention now Sean over to the five-star mailbag as we do this time of the show every time and we start with a question on a familiar topic here from August West 69 he says I know (laughs) uh, he says I know you touched on the topic a few episodes ago but when do you think Penn State will go back to recruiting New Jersey like they used to they are not even a factor anymore in the state Having coached high school for the past 20 years, I've seen kids not even get attention from the Penn State coaching staff. I know they are getting good players now nationally, but with New Jersey being so close, I think it's a big mistake giving back the state to Rutgers, Ohio State, and Michigan. Looking at the top kids again this year, nobody is leaning toward Penn State. I know this is a weird year, but I know how many outstanding players from New Jersey in the past. It just seems weird that they are spending lots of time far away clearly some some criticism in the question right there from august west 69 yeah i mean it's it's legit criticism and i think penn state is is more fallen off as uh you know i don't think it's been a uh, situation where they folk you know focus their attention elsewhere or done everything you know i i don't think i think that's probably a little bit overstated um but yeah they've certainly fallen off there they've they've had some relationships that really haven't been the best and and I think 2022 is when you try and start to get back into it and it may not be something that uh resolves itself until a couple cycles down the road so I don't I don't know that it's uh you know just kind of flip the switch type thing but Penn State has put three coaches back into New Jersey you've got uh, Phil Troutwine in North Jersey which is interesting because he's from South Jersey moved Taylor Stubblefield into Central Jersey and you got uh, Terry Smith in South 
jersey now. So I think you see a commitment to making uh, that more of a priority. And and really, I think that that's what you're going to have to do is get multiple coaches. And, and these guys are all have their spots, but get multiple coaches out in a jersey. Treat it like you're treating Philadelphia right now, which is just bringing waves of guys in there, Stubblefield's in there, uh, Terry Smith is in there. Other coaches have been sort of cycled through there to to sort of get that name, get those names out, get those faces out, and sort of connect with those guys. As you bleed that over into South Jersey, you've got an opportunity to sort of reestablish yourself probably quicker than North Jersey. And I know why Phil Troutwine's in North Jersey. He was at BC, and obviously BC has done extremely well uh, in the parochial leagues up in North Jersey. Um, but you sort of got to start with South Jersey and go from there. Uh, they, so I think right now they've got seven offers, uh, excuse me, six offers in the 2022 class. Um, but it, it, it's it's going to be a slow process. And that's uh, something that, you know, you, you've got to apply the rest of your standards to, to all the states. And it's it goes for Pennsylvania, it goes for New Jersey. I mean, you don't want to offer a kid if he's not going to play here. I mean, you look at uh, some of the offers that they have out in 2021 class. You know, some of those guys, you know, they just kind of stopped recruiting because it, it became apparent during their junior seasons that it wasn't going to happen. Now, they stay in, you know, they, they'd love to get Taiwan Malone. It's not going to happen. They, you know, they're still in it with George Rooks, uh, you know, from from North Jersey, but that's about it. So you kind of roll that over, um, go to the next class. Uh, Steve Angeli, uh, not really sure where he stands, to be honest with you. He was in for a game and they offered him uh, the quarterback out of Bergen Catholic, but Look at it. Look at guys like uh, Kenny Fletcher and Delran, uh, KJ Miles. They were a very early offer for Keon Saab will be an opportunity for them to to try and make a statement. I don't know if they're going to be there, but like I said, Rutgers has, has come on very strong in the state. Other schools have gotten in there. Have uh, Notre Dame's always been a pro, uh, you know a problem for for schools for other schools in New Jersey. Ohio State has creeped in there in the past. So, I mean, the competition's certainly there. And, and, and Penn State is very much rebounding in that situation. And I, and I don't know that that's something that uh, is remedied in 2022, but uh, they're trying to get a jump on it and trying to get it going, especially in, in 2023, where they've offered, I think, five kids in South Jersey or five kids in New Jersey as a whole as well. You look at the earliest stages of James Franklin on the recruiting trail at Penn State, and some of this was keeping Bill O'Brien's guys on board, but there was a lot of names to know there out of New Jersey. Mike Kosicki, Saeed Blacknell, uh, Steven Gonzalez, Jason Kabinda, uh, John Reed played in Philly, but he's a Jersey guy. Uh, Manny Bowen, and these are, these are Jawan Johnson. A lot of these names, you know, Maybe they didn't all work out for four or five years at Penn State, but they had moments that were really important for the Nittany Lions, and some of them became multi-year starters and, and very clearly part of the lifeblood. But you don't have to go back very far in the rearview mirror, Sean, to when this was a very different situation. My first summer covering Penn State football was the summer of 2017, and at that point, you know, Penn State was on its way to signing the top two ranked players out of the state of New Jersey in their 18 class, Justin Shorter, Jason Oway. Uh, they were in a tremendously good spot, maybe the leader at that point uh, when it came to Antonio Alfano, who was the rising figure in the 2019 class in mm. New Jersey. Well, yeah, and, and he's certainly, you know, long term, you look at Antonio Alfano and you understand why there were concerns there, why it didn't really come to fruition with Penn State. But 
that's where it was in 2017. He was viewed as that next man up in the state of New Jersey while you already had players on board. Caden Wallace uh, and, and Taquan Roberson, the top offensive lineman, the top quarterback out of the state in the 2019 class. Uh, but you've talked about it, though. The, the, the staff decisions that, that, that went into it the last couple of years that have impacted New Jersey. And I do think there's something to be said for Greg Schiano uh, taking over Rutgers again. That's the one coach that really could have walked in without entering a game and winning winning games for the Scarlet Knights that automatically was going to turn heads have a ton of built-in relationships with the most important high school coaches in that state Chris Ash wasn't going to wander in from Columbus and have that kind of a uh, pull and quite frankly before him Kyle Flood wasn't going to be able to do that and didn't do that so I think that is something to be concerned about clearly Rutgers is going to need to go win games you're always going to have programs like Ohio State Michigan Notre Dame trying to hit New Jersey hard uh, but James Franklin uh, you know very much when he said dominate the state everyone knew that wasn't just Pennsylvania uh, you've seen some of the graphics some of the maps New Jersey's a part of that and, and right now it, it it's certainly when you look at what they're doing on the recruiting trail, being a neighboring state, especially in this climate right now where you're, you're having trouble getting those long distance visits taking place and getting guys to campus. Yeah, that, that's a that's a shortcoming right now for Penn State and recruiting. And, and I'm looking at Penn, or New Jersey's class of 2021. And I mean, there's some nice players in there, but I mean, I don't I don't think that it's guys that are going to move the needle. I mean, we, we've said it a couple of weeks ago. If you if you want commitments, sure, you can get commitments. You can take guys. Uh, you're, you're not going to be happy with them. So I think that that kind of fits uh, where they go. And another thing, I, I don't think Penn State – I think it's kind of a little bit revisionist history about how great Penn State has been in Jersey. They've always been good, very good in New Jersey, but never really the dominating force. It's been a very much state that's been sort of broken apart uh, by other schools. Um, you know, sort of you, – you've got Rutgers there, but other schools – have come in and just uh, sort of picked that one and, and, and sort of picked it dry. So um, it's uh, it's an interesting case study, and obviously it needs to get better. I don't think there's any question about it, but I think they're trying to make steps and, and make uh, put an emphasis on New Jersey so that they're not caught in a situation where you're going a class or two without bringing in a top guy from out of there. I remember that strange cycle where Michigan signed like five guys out of New Jersey headlined by Rashawn Gary. I think outside of Gary, none of the n- there wasn't a lot he, coming he was, from that. He class. was the he was the headline, and he was the story apparently. Yeah, because yeah. that's uh, that was a bad bad haul for them. And there were guys that you know went to Michigan and didn't last. I, I don't even think uh, did Amir Mitchell last a year. I mean, it's just it no, was it no. was a very very uh, a very big letdown for Michigan in that sense. But they did get Rayshon Gary. And of course, Jabril Peppers came from there. So Michigan's done very well there as well. Uh, Chris Partridge is is obviously, uh, you know, at, at Ole Miss now, but uh, they did it for the time being that they were there. They certainly leaned on on New Jersey and some good, some bad, but you'll have that with, uh, with a lot of states. Yeah. And by the way, 2016 Paramus Catholics commencement speaker, Jim Harbaugh. Uh, so yeah, it was a very interesting time, uh, in, in New Jersey, that cycle. Moving on from recruiting to the current roster from Jake. Do you think Sean Clifford will have a better decision making season without KJ Hamler to force feed passes to this year? And by the way, James Franklin himself went on the record at some point early in the season in 2019 and said they were looking for a dozen plus touches for Hamler a game. 
I mean, I, number one, he better. Number two, I think he will. I think that's going to be where you see Kirk Shiraka make a difference here is, is going through those progressions. And Tanner Morgan did it very, very well when he was at Minnesota. Uh, so you, you'd like to see that sort of improvement from Clifford. Um, you know, will it go to Pat Fry? Will, will Pat Fryermuth be KJ Hamler this year in terms of that's the guy that he looks to? And, you know, and, and you can look to him in, in tough situations. They did last year, but. In easy situations, in in different in, in every situation, essentially, is Pat Fryermuth going to be that guy? I don't necessarily think so. You, uh, you obviously need get need guys to step up at uh, at wide receiver, running back, all that kind of stuff. So I think he'll have more options, and I think that running game will help out his decision making and pass protection. Man, I think that you know that's uh, if you get a chance. I listened to, to to the Ross Tucker podcast last week, and he had Nolan Rucci on earlier this week, by the way. But talking pass protection about the basics of pass protection how important it is. Uh, that's one thing that Penn State's, uh, we, we talk about the run blocking, the run game and all that stuff, but we talk about Penn State's pass protection needs to be significantly better than it was last year. Yeah. In 2018, as a redshirt freshman, KJ Hamler led all Penn State receivers uh, in catches. I think everybody understands that. He did it back-to-back years. He had 42 catches, which isn't a lot for a leading receiver in 2018. That's with Trace McSorley as a senior. The next highest total among receivers was DeAndre Tompkins and Jawan Johnson, 25 apiece. Uh, and then you go back to last year, KJ Hamler built upon his total a little bit, 56 catches. You got to go all the way down to Jahan Dotson, 27 receptions is the next leading wide receiver. So outside of Hamler, no wide receiver with 30 plus catches in either of the last couple of years. You factor in Fryermuth, very productive tight end, of course. But again, it continues to come back to who can Clifford rely on and where is that chemistry going to come from? Because so many of the names we're talking about, John Dunmore, TJ Jones, Keandre Lambert, they were not on the radar for Clifford on the practice field much last year. Obviously, the freshmen were not at all, but the, the redshirt freshmen, John Dunmore, TJ Jones, we didn't see them getting much run. So th- there's definitely, to me, some concern about building that up. And, and that's a lot of college football programs right now. The Penn State's in a good spot where they actually have a returning quarterback that they can at least lean on that experience. But you get on the field, it's going to have to ha- have to happen quickly because what him and Hamler certainly did have was that chemistry uh, outward publicly, the BFF thing that we heard about so much during the year. That was in place from the get-go with Clifford going back to their high school days. Who does he have that kind of rapport with right now? Uh, or does he have it with anybody? And whether it's a good thing or a bad thing, I think people to this question, my mind went right to that jump ball pass we saw thrown towards Hamler's direction in Minneapolis was, you know, you're kind of scratching your head on that one. I'm, I'm thinking of the one, I think it was against Michigan State where he just lopped it up and, and Hamler ran right under it. I, I forget which one. There was a couple was go last fetch, year. Go right? Just, just, it was just like, go <laughs> yeah. get it, man. Uh, back to your last point. I'm I'm curious what kind of role Cam Sullivan Brown's going to have on this hmm. team. And I'm I'm curious because somebody reached out to me, said, heard good things about Cam Sullivan Brown and workouts so far, uh, along with Keandre Lambert. But uh, Sullivan Brown fits the bill you know, as kind of a safety blanket type guy, kind of a guy that's been around, seen a lot of things, seen a lot of different guys, guys, you know, supposedly more talented than him that have come along. And, and let's be honest, physically more talented, physically more imposing and things like that. Uh, yes. But Sullivan Brown's been around. He's been solid when he's been in there, obviously had the, the injury last year, which was unfortunate. But, you know, you can use a guy like that not only on the field, but uh, for this young receiver group, I think Sullivan Brown's going to be very important to kind of show them the ropes and help them grow up a little bit. 
bit. So I'm curious to see what show, what his role will be on and off the field. But I think there can be a role for him. And and we were talking about uh, him being in the portal a year ago. I mean, that's uh, that's a long, it's kind of a far cry from where we thought he would be after this se- or after last season. So curious to see what he does, how he does it. And I, I think I think he can do some. I don't I don't know that he's going to be a go to guy. I don't know that he's going to catch a ton of balls or anything like that. But I think he can really help out this entire offense and probably be an underrated aspect of what they're trying to do. And and Kirk Shiraka, uh, wide receivers should like the situation because uh, the ball was spread and it was spread in a high volume the last couple of years at Minnesota. We mentioned this uh, a few times. They had a couple 1,100-plus yard receivers last year. Both of them uh, went for more than uh, double-digit touchdowns. They had three receivers catch at least five touchdowns last year. Uh, and and so you know, we'll see how where it meets in the middle because uh, it's such a stark contrast between what Minnesota accomplished in its passing game and the way it distributed the ball at that position versus what Penn State has done uh, in the last couple of years and um, uh, one of the many mysteries as, as this team returns to, to the field in, in late July. Uh, Sean, the last question here from the mailbag comes from Nittany Scott. He asks, do you think James a James Franklin coached Penn State team will ever finish with fewer than two losses? Last year, of course, this team goes 11-2. and two. That's three 11 win seasons in, in the last uh, four years. Um, I had them at 10 and two last year, Sean. I will say I am very tempted to predict an 11, a one loss season this year. I'll feel even more tempted to do that if we're not talking about this team playing non conference games. We don't know how that's going to shape up. As the schedule is currently constructed, road trip to Virginia Tech, road trip to Michigan. Those are two that stand out for sure. You never know where you're going to find an, uh, maybe another wrench in the plans against another opponent. The Ohio State game is the one that's very glaring to me. Uh, my answer here is yes. I, I, I think the way things are, are, are building with this program, James Franklin locking in for long term, if that remains, uh, you know, what him and his family want to do, I think they will break through and, and have that season. Now, the question is, um, if you do suffer a loss, you know, and you get into the college football playoff, um, you're holding it against James Franklin if they lose in a semifinal or a championship game and they lose that second game. Um, cause if you're talking about fewer than two losses, uh, you know, we've seen national championship teams win with one loss on their, on their resume. Um, uh, but it, it's, it's hard to even get into the playoffs with one loss anymore. A couple of things. Number one, this is entrapment for putting us out there like that. <laughs> uh, number two, you, I think you nailed it with, uh, you know, Penn state can still lose one game and find themselves out of the playoff. I think we talked about this with Brandon Marcello a couple of weeks ago on the podcast is does Penn state have the clout and that resume to lose one of those games and maybe beat an Ohio State or maybe lose just lose the Ohio State game and lose it close and still make the playoff. And that's really what it comes down to. But, you know, if you and I are going to say that James Franklin can lead Penn State to a national championship, and I believe that. I believe that they can. Um, I don't, you know, it's going to take some breaks and things like that, but you're going to have to go with yes on this one as well. So, um, so yeah. You, if you're pinning us down, I'm going to go with yes, but that's uh, it's it's really tough to just lose one game. And like you mentioned, you lose one game in the season and still make that playoff and then lose a playoff game, you end up with the same record you had for a Cotton Bowl win or or something like that. So, um, yeah, so I'll go with yes on this one. I do think that he's done a, a really, really great job building the roster. I think the, they're a quarterback away. Will, is that quarterback on the roster right now? It's hard to say. So uh, we will see which direction that goes in, but it's a it's it's a very, very, uh, you know, it's it's like the uh, is Penn State recruiting at a playoff level question last week. Very short question, but to the point, very important. And I think that, yeah, I think they have that potential to do so. I, I think he's probably a better coach than 
is given credit for and certainly things that he can work on and certainly things that you know he can improve upon but he's built a nice talent base he's done uh you know a really good job protecting his house in terms of uh Penn State's home record has been pretty phenomenal and let's be honest i mean the the non-conference schedule up until now really has 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 aided those records. We'll see what happens when Auburn comes on. We'll see what happens when some of those games happen in the future. But I mean, it's, uh, yeah, I think, I think the potential is there. I think the possibility is there. And I think, you know, this year could be that year. I, I, you know, if you're telling me fewer than two losses in the 12 game regular season stretch this year, I, I may be on board with that. And we'll see when it comes time to issue our season predictions. I could see myself going with that for sure. Do I think they, they get to January without a second loss? Uh, I, I don't. I don't know if this team is in a is going to be in a spot where they're going to get to the national championship game and win it right now this year. Um, so I think they will end up with multiple losses here in, in, in the year. But it's a good question. That's a really good question from Nittany Scott. And by the way, we got a really uh, interesting one that that we may expand on to almost an entire episode next week if, if we're able to. And, and there's not breaking news that takes precedence uh, in our mailbag. We'll, we'll tell you what that is, but we're excited to, to dive into it. The mailbag questions have been awesome lately. Please keep them coming on Apple Podcasts. Drop your five-star rating and review. Throw your question in there. We've got a bunch to get to. If you have not heard yours yet, Stay patient. We'll get to it. If you put it in a month ago, hey, you can ask a second question. Maybe maybe bump it for us, or if yeah, you have bump a new it question, for us, cause we, we're, <laughs> we're looking at the top of the list right now, and that's yeah. where we're that's where we're gathering these things from. So uh, it's uh, we we appreciate them though. We really do. I mean, it's just uh, it's a great way we check them out and check out the the reviews and stuff. And again, it helps us. It helps us put put together a product that uh, we think that you guys like, and we we like bringing it to you a couple times a week. So keep up with those uh, five star reviews and bring those questions, and maybe bring a little positivity to those questions as well i i noticed some mentioned that entrapment a little bit earlier they they just seem to 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 lean negative which you know makes sense because they're on the internet but uh you know we'll take positive questions too we'll take uh you know personal questions about tyler anything that you want to ask is is great (laughs) uh that's gonna do it for this episode big thanks to sean big thanks to jimmy for joining us we're back with a couple more shows next week as we move inside 10 weeks to Penn State kickoff, one last reminder, 50% off annual VIP subscription to our website, lines247.com. That ends midnight Friday. Again, sorry to those of you picking this thing up into the weekend, but $1 for one month will extend beyond Friday, so you can still jump on uh, with that offer. Sean, that's going to do it for us. Uh, in the meantime, we wish everyone a great weekend ahead. We'll talk to you soon here on the Lines 24-7 podcast. Original docuseries on Paramount Plus. Why did he kill his family? The answer lies across the ocean and a woman named Sylvie. She's a can model. Where desire leads to deception. I ended up spending twelve and fifteen thousand dollars a day. It was addictive. I can't get you out. And obsession leads to murder. Who did this to your family? You can't really maintain a fantasy forever. Control all desire. Now streaming on Paramount Plus.